You're about to listen to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders and for coders about all aspects of life as a developer. I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer. And I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie developer. Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast. Before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? A lot of bad planning and you know other things. You know, I guess you well you were over here Friday night and we yeah. got my you know we got my server back in the rack and got the uh, battery backup in the rack and of course I still can't plug it in because the electricians haven't made it out. You know, even though I've been after them for a while, they're coming uh, here in the next few days. And this weekend, I just I kind of graphed out like everything I want to do before April before I actually start on my New Year's resolutions. And like three quarters of stuff on there is blocked by not having that one plug. Yeah, you were showing me with your hands. That yeah, it's like, like, yeah, it's like if my fingers were the were the things I want to get done, my wrist is them making the plug. Like it's all dependent. I can't get to any of those things because they're in they're in the way. Uh, so yeah, I'm dealing with that. I'm uh, work has been work has been pretty good. There's been some. You know, there, there's been some learning experiences there. Yeah. Uh, we had, you know, we had some uh, had some interesting hardware problems last week. Um, two of them, yeah. and uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 really crazy how slow a system gets with RAID when one of the drives is not working. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, this this should be a fast server. Why is it running like a four eighty six? Like you, you try to remote desktop into the box, and I mean, you'd go to the bathroom and come back before it would log you in. It was extremely slow, and it's like, okay, this isn't network latency because it's you know like fifteen feet away, mm-hmm. and it, that's what it turned out to be was just the hard drive gradually getting worse, and uh, so they you know they've got that fixed, and man, it's snappy now. So yeah, so I've had all kinds of fun with all that stuff, and I really didn't you know really didn't get a whole lot done. This weekend, of course, I say that I, I you know, been continuing to uh, port my blog over to Hexo, and uh, that's going really well, really fast. I mean, it's gonna, it's still gonna take me probably a few more weeks to really get that done, but I'll be so glad. I, you know, I think I got like twenty messages today on WordPress for attempts to hack the blog. Not like the two thousand I got. Yeah. What? So I guess. Now it's time to talk about what you were fighting, which you never did actually tell me the full story. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's because I got really busy. It's been kind of a hectic weekend um, for me. I had an interview on Monday of last week, and that went well. You, um, It's right down the road from uh, where you work. So we uh, and he who shall not be named all went out to lunch that day. And then uh, still haven't heard back from them. We, uh, we had lunch with the recruiter on Friday, and... Uh, she kind of told us that it, it's between me and one other person, and so you know how negotiations and all that stuff go. Hopefully, I'll hear something in the next week. In the meantime, I was contacted by another recruiter for a front-end job. After submitting my uh, resume and portfolio, they wanted to skip the phone interview and go straight to the assessment. So I spent the entire weekend working on that. Before that happened, I'd actually installed Hexo on Windows and Linux machines, and I was going to play around with that this weekend. But uh, it, it was an interesting challenge that they sent me. I had to write basically a kind of a list with the view for each item on the list, 
uh, in the format that uh, they have on their website, but I was not allowed to use any frameworks, like front-end frameworks. So no bootstrap, you know. None of the stuff that you would actually do. Yeah, yeah. They just wanted to see if I could do it. Um, And it may be because I bragged a little bit about uh, when I first started learning JavaScript, you made me learn it. Um, Without jQuery? Yeah. And so it may be because I bragged about that that they thought, oh, well, let's see what he's got. I don't know if they just wanted me to do the list view um, component or if they wanted me to create the entire example page that they sent me. So I created the entire example page. I either did exactly what they wanted or I went way overboard. Yeah, of course, I took a programming test last Monday. I don't remember if I mentioned it or not. I don't think you did. Um, yeah, it was, it was a uh, programming test. You know, the recruiters I work with, um, they had been sending some people out uh, you know, to this particular client, and the client had a test. You know, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a simple programming test to make sure that you're, you actually are worth talking to. Because mm-hmm. you, you have a lot of people that think that they can become programmers because they have you know, written a for loop in JavaScript. And... That yeah. does, or they've built an HTML page, and so you, you've got to, like, if you're an HR manager, you pretty much have to find some way to sort through that. And these people were complaining that this test was too hard, and so I, you know, I was talking to the recruiter I work with, and she mentioned that you know this had come up, and you know they're trying to get somebody to take the test. I'm like, well, I'll take it. You know, I set it for five thirty. I came home, I cracked open a beer, got on the remote. Uh, remote desktop. I did it one line of code. <laughs> Which is funny because you told me what the test was and uh, I don't think before you told me how you did it I could have done it in one line of code. Of course, after you explained it, I was like, oh, now, now I see how you did that. But Yeah, it, it really wasn't that bad. It was, it was a good um, it was a good test for filtering that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, you know, you see a lot of tests that are you know, for people that are potential new hires that are not really good tests. Like, you know, I got one a month or so back, and one of the questions was, what's the difference between covariance, contravariance, and invariance? Yeah, <laughs> myself and he who shall not be named, you know, I got this question. And and he's like, I don't know. He goes, do you know? And I go, no, I don't know. Um, I use it. I use those principles all the time. We don't call it that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we looked it up. It's like, okay, so what does this mean? And you know, when we look it up, it felt like we knew even less after we read the definitions. And so there's bad tests out there, and then there's also people that are not prepared for tests. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's kind of that dynamic. So, mm-hmm. but uh, I guess it's about time to uh, roll the music. That glorious music. It's way better. <laughs> All right, this week for IOTs, we have something that Will suggested. We'll let him do a little bit of the talking about this one. Uh, this is not exactly an IoT thing, but uh, it's kind of cool. It is a spoon that uh, is more gadgety than uh, Internet of Things, but it's designed to help people who have Parkinson's disease. Will you right. want to tell us a little bit about it? Uh, basically, what it does is I don't know if you've ever um, seen or sat at a table with somebody that has Parkinson's or some of those other, there's, there's several other ge- degenerative diseases that do that as well with yes. the shakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and really advanced age will do it too. Yes. 
Um, but basically, if you've ever seen somebody like that uh, attempt to eat soup or attempt to you know eat something with a spoon, you know, their hand shakes and all the food falls off of the spoon mm-hmm. repeatedly. Uh, this this spoon actually um, auto adjusts to that and keeps the food on the spoon. That's the long and the short of it. That is really neat. Will showed me a video earlier, and we're, we'll post a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, and you know, the, basically the deal is, is when somebody is suffering from that, you know, they can at least in you know somewhat the early phases they can still eat, but their hands shake so much that they're having to really, really focus on their food, mm-hmm. and so it, it kind of creates a little bit of social isolation for them. Exactly. A lot of times, and so this this can really give people their life back. Like I said, it's not straight up IOTs or mm-hmm. an IOT thing because it's not. There's no microprocessor, I don't think, embedded in this. I think it's just a little feedback. Sensor. It's more of a, a gadgety kind of thing, but uh, when you mentioned it, I just I liked it. Yeah, and, and so I thought we'd bring it up in uh, in an episode. So, well, I mean, this is the sort of thing that can really change somebody's life in, mm-hmm. a, in a very positive manner. So, no, and it's it may not be something that people know about, and so if you if you have someone in your life that's suffering like this, like a grandparent or somebody. Um, this could be really helpful for them. Yeah. So, but thanks for, for bringing that up for me because that's really cool. So in this episode, we're going to discuss manager's schedule versus maker's schedule. And this all starts out with an essay that Paul Graham wrote, and we'll put the link in the show notes. But essentially, he talks about the way that developers approach things and how it does not interact well with the way management approaches things, because particularly in regards to their schedules. And so he breaks it down into two different types. There's the manager schedule and the maker schedule. He gets into how they both have you know, their own priorities and they inherently conflict. And basically what it boils down to is developers don't do well with interruptions, which we've covered in episode 13. Yeah, the why developers hate distractions. Yeah. Which is a good episode. We got a lot of good feedback from that. Yeah, and managers have a similar thing in that they can't always wait on a convenient time because they're in a they're in a bit more of a dynamic. And I think during uh, that during that episode we even mentioned that uh manager schedule is defined by interruptions. Yes. So to begin, I guess let's get into what a manager schedule looks like. Um, and Beej, you've managed Probably more than me. I've been in a management position twice, and neither of them was for over six months. Sounds about the same. We've probably got about similar experience. How many people did you manage? Um, in one case, I think it was seven or eight, but they were part-time, and they were in and out, and they were kind of independent contractor types. And that was massage therapists, of all things, which we won't get into that long story. Hurting cats, huh? Yeah, and, and trying to code at the same time, which was just a complete mess. Um, and the other one, there was a team of three or four, and I was kind of a team lead. I didn't have any real authority, but I had responsibility. I've been in those situations. That's called middle management. Yeah. Well, this wasn't even, it wasn't even at that level. It was just, I was the guy that got screamed at when stuff didn't work. I, uh, I worked for a company that does, they're still around. They do housing for, um, people with, uh, mental retardation. It's really great because the the school system really takes care of, of kids born with mental retardation up till they're about 21. And then after that, there's not a whole lot of programs. And this is one that their services do everything from managing their finances to helping them find a job 
and providing um, occupational assistance and housing and everything like that. And it, that's the full end of their service. It can go all the way down to just providing housing and the family can manage their finances and stuff. Each house, which usually had two to three roommates, was managed um, by what we called, uh, it was the family teaching model, where a couple lived in the duplex beside them, and they managed the household. And then, yeah, they worked four days a week, and then the other three days, and the night shifts were covered by staff that came in. And I managed five of those homes. You had to move around, too. You weren't, yeah. it, not even... People weren't even in the same office. No, I didn't even have an office. Yeah. Like I went in once a week for our weekly meetings and to file paperwork. Uh, but my, my job was going from house to house. I tried to visit every house at least twice a week. And I was doing this while trying to go to graduate school. Yeah. So I guess the fundamental thing, you know, with the structure of a, a manager's schedule is if you don't understand this yet, go to your manager's desk and ask to see their Outlook calendar or their Google calendar or whatever their you know, whatever tool they're using, and just like look at it from across the room. It will look typically like somebody lost a game of Tetris. There's squares everywhere, you know. Or it looks like a quilt. They just don't have a whole lot of room in their schedule because the point of being a manager is, you know, collaboration, synergy. You know, effectively, what they're having to do is they are having to work with other people. And they're having to coordinate things and, you know, schedule things and plan things. And so they're constantly, you know, moving around and, and having meetings and having short chunks of time that they're having to work on one thing. You know, managers typically will have, you know, in those meetings, they have their discussions with their subordinates, the people that are above them and other managers from other departments. And so they're, they're constantly doing this shift in this, you know, back and forth. One of the main features is that. The, their schedule tends to feature a lot of collaboration to actually get stuff done with a small amount of isolation to get prepared for getting that stuff done. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's the way their workload is shifted. The other thing important to remember here too, is that management schedules are the schedules of the people that have the most power. Now contrast this with the structure of an ideal schedule for a developer. Well, those are going to have very few meetings and a lot more open space in their schedule for development unless they block that time off. But still, it's going to be, like you were saying, when I was managing, each house that I managed had its own color. It's just how you – it's an easy visual organization. I, can, I could glance at my schedule and see you know, where I was supposed to be based on the color. With that, you, you think of the developer schedule, and it's going to be mostly one color – if they're using that same scheme. Yeah. It's, it's going to be very, very sparse. So it's, it's pretty much the opposite of what a manager's schedule looks like. I mean, there, if you're a developer at an organization that is running well. That's well, another thing we've, we've talked about with the surviving meetings was, you know, meeting overkill. If you're, if you're a developer and your schedule is looking more like a manager's, there's something wrong. Yeah, either you need to be moved into a management position or somebody needs to be moved into a management position or you need to move somewhere else. You know, your meetings should really be basically either to report on progress or to gather requirements. And personally, I believe that the reporting on progress mostly doesn't really have to happen in a meeting context. 
Well, no, yeah, that could be done in an email, couldn't it? Yeah, most of that can really be done best in a written format if you can type well, which is, curiously enough, something a lot of developers can do, as it, as it turns out. Now, you know, of course, this you still have to have your little daily stand-ups. Like, you gotta, you got to have some face-to-face with your coworkers just for... Get everybody on the same same page and yeah, you know it's like uh, something that we learned here with the podcast was we found that when we hadn't seen each other for a week or two and we tried to record, we ended up going for an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, and we wasted a lot of time, honestly, in there. Yeah. And so what we started doing is if like we hadn't seen each other in a couple of weeks, and so before recording, it's we, yeah, it took us an hour and a half because we learned to just kind of wind that down. And yeah. that's it is important to remember that that is one of the functions of a meeting. And that's probably the biggest thing that a stand up meeting really brings to the table is a little bit of team cohesion and getting some of the chitter chatter out of the way. It's like if you look at developer schedules, you know, we discussed with the manager schedule, they collaborate a lot and then they're isolated a little to get prepared. Well, developers, the other way around, we're isolated. A lot, and we yes. collaborate a little to get ready, and so the, this kind of will help. It helps with the the isolation of the team. These two structures are completely different. Yeah, like they're lopsided in, in opposite directions. You'll have some people that are kind of hybrids too. That are like a team lead position. It's like you don't really have the authority of a manager, but you're kind of working with management. You'll have a few more meetings than some other people, or if you're a senior dev. You know, you'll get pulled into all kinds of stuff when it's like, I'm not management, but you know, there's, there's been days I've had most of my day chewed up by meetings. Yeah. I have been interviewing. They pulled in all the senior devs that I would potentially be working for Yep, or for working that I would potentially be working with. Yeah. And well, it's supposed to be a 30 minute meeting with them. We, we kind of got along really well and ended up going 45 minutes because we got to talking and just. Yeah, and it totally wrecked those guys' days, too, because, <laughs> yeah. like, one thing you start to realize, especially as your workload gets more difficult and more tied into the guts of things, is that not only is is the interruption a problem, but it's the fact that the interruption is coming up when you know it's coming. You, you end up not starting anything that's ambitious because you're you're trying to protect yourself from knowing that you're going to screw up if you get interrupted. Well, it's like when I came down here this afternoon, I was I spent the day working uh, working on a JavaScript project I, I've got, and I guess about an hour or two before I left, I was at a good stopping point. And I knew that if I moved on to the next thing I wanted to do, I wouldn't be able to get it done before I needed to come down here. Yeah. And so I just said, all right, I'll go play some Minecraft for an hour, walk the dog and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, and so that that tension between those two ways of approaching things is a little tricky to overcome, Um, you know, because, again, the manager doesn't have the same schedule as you and you're not in a position of power to change their schedule. There's a few things that you know, managers can do that will make this better. You know, a lot of developers get, you know, they do well and then they get penalized by being moved up into management. <laughs> I mean, it's, it effectively works that way. It's, it, it's not yeah. looked at as a penalty for them, but it, 
it works out that way because they, they wanted to code. You know, a lot of people get into computers because they don't want to deal with other people all the time. And they do it well enough and then they become managers. That's that's what happened to me at the management job I talked about earlier. I was being groomed to be a behavior analyst. And then the company got uh, bought and roles were redistributed. And since I had more experience with management and didn't didn't have my master's degree yet, they they put me there as a permanent position. So the, you know, there's a few things managers can do, um, obviously, to make this better. You know, the biggest thing is instead of waiting for the developers to come to you about this is to restrict interruptions to a predefined time window and go, look, guys, I'm only going to bug you between you know X time and Y time. If you have a morning stand-up meeting, that time needs to be somewhere around there. Like, don't don't booger up the morning and then do the same thing the afternoon and, you know, put that time in the middle. Cause that, that basically means your developers are not going to try anything complicated because they, they're always waiting on an interruption and they're afraid that, you know, you'll get neck deep in a stack trace and then you got to go talk to somebody. Yeah. And as a kid, my favorite days in school were the days that we didn't follow the schedule. Yeah. I've got a bit of a rebel in me. I like to go do the different things. Until I was able to control my own schedule, and I didn't have one because my favorite was when I didn't have a schedule, so I thought it'd be better to not. And I very quickly realized the reason I liked those days was because they were a relief from the regular schedule. You know, they were very rare and far between, but that's what I liked about them. They were something different that did not happen often. You know, people that have known me most of my life, they see how, I want to say well-organized, but well-scheduled I am. Yeah. And it surprises them because that doesn't fit my personality. In At that. all. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and I explain them like, yeah, I really love the unscheduled, the random, you well, know. You know, the thing is, is you're, you create space for that. Because if if your entire life was random, you would be, you'd be too broke, too overloaded, and too tired to do random things that are actually fun. And I learned that through experience in my 20s, early 20s. You were there for some of it. I do remember that. (laughs) Not so fondly, but I do remember it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, I kind of learned the same thing. And it's a lesson that that repeats itself is being able to control your day. Because the other thing this does is when you interrupt somebody, you know, I've worked at quite a few places that something comes up they immediately come over like they'll send an email. And then like, as soon as they hit send on the email, they get up and they walk your direction. You actually get real good at disappearing. As soon as you see an email, if you're far enough away, you can just, because you know, it's whatever you're doing is shot because they're going to, they're going to come and and, and basically pee in your brain as far as that goes. Cause it's like, you just can't, you, yeah, you can't that, focus on anything. And, and really, you know, as a manager, you get raked over the coals when your team doesn't perform. So, you're not even shooting them in the foot. I mean, yeah, you can throw a few of them under the bus, but after a while, upper management is going to realize that the common factor in all your problems is you. You know, then you're gone and you're on the job market as a mental manager. You know, another thing is, you know, other than other than restricting your own interruptions is keeping other parties from scheduling meetings with your team without working through you first. Some of this is has to do with organizational structure. 
If you're in charge of the team legitimately and you're responsible for what they're doing, as a manager, you do not want other people jumping in and and causing problems because those people are not going to be held at fault. It's also a place that you really kind of want to stake your territory. And it doesn't mean, you know, silo and, you know, don't work with other people. It just means have a little consideration. And we, we started off this whole podcast talking about social interactions and developers talking to non-devs and things like that. That is a big function of your job as a manager is you I, – I go back to uh, the one comment that you made in a previous episode. Uh, you can either be an umbrella or a funnel. And if you're a good manager, you protect your team – from all of that by having everyone go through you because you know, all right, I've told them they're going to have the afternoons to focus on heavy stuff that will only schedule meetings in the mornings. Well, people outside of your team may not know that. Or they may not care. Yeah, or yeah, that's true. They may not care. But if they have to go through you to schedule a meeting with your team or with someone on your team, then you know that and you can say, hey, it has to be in the morning because we don't do any meetings in the afternoon. Yeah, if you look at an organizational chart, you'll see, you know, there's the CEO and then there's, you know, the CIO, the CFO. Sometimes the CIO is under the CFO, sometimes they're not. There's, you know, there's a couple other departments depending on, on the business structure and it looks equal. That is never true. It's fairly rare for the IT department to be anywhere near a level of power. Unless you are a software company, which even frequently then you're not. It's shocking just how many, you know, how many companies get ruled by, you know, their marketing department or their, you know, some other department to the point, you know, to the point where it's detrimental. They're ruled by the one that physically brings in the money. Another thing you also have to do is you have to make sure your developers are disciplined about actually participating in meetings. Well, it's kind of the corollary to you have to protect your developers is you're you're protecting them, but you also have to make sure. That you also have to protect the other departments from your developers. Yes. And developers are really good, especially we have a lot of interesting personalities in this industry. Yes, that's a good um, way of putting a it. A lot of people that don't read social cues at all. A lot of people that frankly ha- have borderline sociopathic tendencies because they're they're, they're socially awkward and it's pretty much metastasized for them. Um, I worked at a company where there were several developers on the team and there were two guys that never came in on time. We had a nine o'clock stand-up meeting. These guys would come in at like 10 o'clock, 1030. So we had the stand-up meeting and then when they came in, everybody got interrupted again because they didn't know what was going on and management wouldn't come down on it. Instead, they came down on the people who were at work during core business hours who weren't getting anything done because these other guys, you know, they come in late and what do they do? Well, they have their meeting, they interrupt everybody else and they go to lunch and then they come back and they work for six or seven hours, you know, cause Hey, they're, you know, they're 25 and they're single. There's nobody at home. that's going to get mad if they get home at 10 o'clock at night and getting off at 10 or 11 o'clock at night is a, the perfect time. If you're going to meet your friends out at the club, I know I used to work second shift. Yeah. You know, you get drunk and come home or vice versa. And, you know, then you get up at nine o'clock in the morning, you know, throw on some ratty clothes and get into the office. And 
everybody else is kind of trailing in your wake. As a manager, it's very important to you've got to do damage control on these kind of people. And the thing is, it's damaging for their careers too because they're not going to get you're not going to get past mid level. They may not even realize it. I was listening to uh, one of my favorite podcasts, the Code Newbie podcast today. The guest was talking about um, a friend of hers that, and I think he's her mentor is what she was saying, but he has a site called Letters to My 25-Year-Old Self. You know, the, she talked about that a bit, and this that makes perfect sense with what you're saying, because a lot of times at that age, you're going through a lot of learning and growth and changes, and if you don't have someone well, there... Well, you're totally free from your parents, and you're totally free from whatever structure... Because, like, if you fail out of college, people are going to be on you a whole lot more than if you just get fired. And it's, it's very easy for the inner slacker to come out for a while. And I think everybody kind of goes through that. You know, I, I would have to agree with that. I mean... And so you, you have to, as a manager, that's one thing that you want to really be very conscientious about is, is what, you know, what the developers are doing to each other. In terms of schedule, too, because there's going to be, be some people with some just weird schedules. I mean, I get told all the time, of course, I can't do it now because I have to drop my daughter off at school. But, I, you know, I remember getting told, look, you're, you know, it's great that you come in early, but that doesn't mean you can leave early because core hours are, you know, yeah. fixed. And it's like you can't leave before four. There, there's places I've worked where I've gotten in at, you know, 10 after six in the morning and had a you know, short lunch break. It's like, well, I should be able to leave before four. Because yes. I'm a morning person, and that I can get most of my work done before all the irritating people are there. That wasn't allowed either, and it's completely reasonable because the manager is trying. You know, the developer is trying to run a computer to do something. The manager is trying to run a team, and it interferes with the operation of the rest of the team. Yes, that makes sense. I mean, I remember when I was doing my graduate practicum, the way that where I was living, the school zones worked out for, for that semester. The practicum started at 7.45 in the morning. If I left at a certain time, I would get there at 7.15. If I left five minutes later, I would get there at 8.15. Yeah. And so I remember I showed up, I think my second day, because the first day I was told to show up around noon or something, cause it was just meet the team kind of thing. Uh, my second day, my first full day, I showed up at 7.30. You know, nothing was really said. No one else was there but the the doctor that I was working with. And then I did that for two or three days. And finally, I think about after the third day, he came up to me and said, this is kind of my time for for me because I'd been sitting in his office chatting with him until everybody showed up. Yeah, you were killing his productivity. Yeah, and I didn't realize that because I just thought, well, he, you know. As a manager, that's that's also something that can happen a lot, yeah. especially if you've got you know somebody that really looks up to you. Is they can completely obliterate your your schedule, and you know you're not prepared for your meetings. Exactly, and so he he told me that, and I I explained to him. I said, well, the problem is if I leave five minutes later, I'll be thirty minutes late. Yeah. And I said, if you'll just open, because there, there was a small, yeah, little cubby hole for the students. <laughs> Three students fit in there, plus all our filing cabinets. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was tight. Uh, but I told him if he would just open that up, 
I would come in and I'd make coffee for everyone in the morning and uh, I could get some work done in there. Uh, the, the problem was every semester the students changed and there was no set filing system because every time someone came in, they changed, they, it. They changed it and they changed some of the files, but not all of them. So if you had to look up a patient that hadn't been there in a couple of years, yeah, or like you had archaeology. to find archaeology. It's like, how did the Sumerians organize their streets versus the Babylonians? Yes, exactly. And then it turns out that, oh, this one guy was Akkadian. So I, I spent my mornings that semester reorganizing. Well, and I mean, that's that's part of this, too, is when your developers are wasting your time, wasting others' time, they aren't able to grow. That's true. Effectively. And some of that, that that's that team growth. You're pruning the bonsai tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, developers can do some stuff to make this whole thing better. Well, I would think well. if managers can, the developers can too, even if they don't have the power to control other schedules. Yeah, well, I mean, you can control things without controlling things. Um, I don't I don't know if you remember the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Very vaguely, yes. Do you remember, I think it was an older Greek woman that says, oh, the man is the head of the household, but the woman is the neck? I do remember that, yeah. Okay, this is what developers are. The manager is the head of the team. The developer is the neck. It doesn't mean you can turn the manager any which way because sometimes the manager won't go that way. And there's a loud snap. But, <laughs> you know, it's not a perfect thing. But you do have, you do have a little bit of power here. And uh, But you know, the biggest thing you can do is keep your manager informed. Like if you're trying to keep the manager's schedule from damaging yours and your ability to be productive, the biggest thing you can do for them is keep them informed. And we talked about this when we talked about the interruptions and how to mitigate that. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen this firsthand, not exactly with ma- with a manager that I have, but I, I was interviewing at a place that uh, wasn't for a development position. It was for a recruiter position. The manager was talking to me on the phone. We talked a couple of times. And uh, he asked me, he's like, you yeah, know, I know that development is more kind of what you're interested in. And he said, you know, are you going to be able to put in a full day's work here and give it your all? And I, I told him, I said, you're right. Development is what I want to do. It's like, I don't know. I may get in there and really love recruiting and just hit it off. And, you know, he, he responded with, yeah, we've got some people that have been doing this for uh, 10, 15 years. And I said, you know, I don't know if that will happen, but I can tell you honestly now, I want to be a developer. That's where my path is taking me. If that path includes working as a recruiter with you for a few years, then I don't mind doing that. And when I'm at the job, I'll give it my 100%. But when I'm home, I'm going to be on my computer. And he was very impressed with the honesty. Yeah, and it's not just, it's not just the honesty thing, but if people already know what's going on, they don't ask. That's true. Which this is how stage magic works because the audience thinks that they know what's going on. And then all of a sudden the curtain comes up and the person's gone. And it's, it's really that same kind of principle, right? You, you make sure the management knows what's going on to the degree that they need to. And you know that doesn't mean be deceptive. It means that you keep them informed in such a way that they can, they can do their job. You know, like you don't you don't get into all the minutia of, oh, this code really sucks and da da da, da because what impression are you forming? Yeah. You're forming the impression that you're overwhelmed when really all you're doing is complaining. So it's keeping them informed, but 
being cognizant of what that information does. Think of it as a payload going to another server. You don't want a buffer overflow. And I would also say with that, um, keeping them informed, and we talked about this in, in a couple of episodes, showing them in, in our time management episode, especially a time tracker one, with you can use that to show them how when you don't have meetings scheduled, your pr- productivity goes up during this time. Part of keeping them informed is letting them know, hey, you know, when I'm not randomly interrupted, but I know there's scheduled interruptions, I'm able to plan for that. And we have a meeting at nine. I come in at 7.30. I know I've got an hour before I need to start preparing for the meeting. Yeah. So I will do something that takes about an hour. You know, and then well, the rest of the day after lunch, I know we're not going to have any meetings, so I can focus on more difficult tasks. Then, yeah, and it's just the idea of pruning their behavior as well, because a manager is going to change their behavior based off of their team. If you have a team of extreme introverts, you don't handle it the same way as you do, you know, some guys that practically should have been in sales but ended up being a dev team. And, I would agree with that. That's so that back and forth is is sort of necessary, and so you want you want to keep that communication channel open. Um, another thing is is actually if you have a meeting, show up on time, show up prepared. Don't don't waste other people's time. Don't waste your manager's time. Ultimately, you're you're also wasting your time. Yeah, and you're going to be held accountable for what you get done yes. too. And you know they're going to be saying, "Oh, well, he didn't pay attention to the meeting, or he." talked too much during the meeting you know i've had you know i had a position where i was told that i wasn't a team player and the thing was is i felt like the meetings were a waste of time which i still will argue that they were but what ended up happening is we were having meetings you know three and four hours a day there was there just wasn't anything for me to say i mean we were in these we were in these meetings where we were discussing stuff and it's like it didn't i didn't know how all the pieces fit in nobody told me and I'm sitting there and it's like, I'm not talking. It's not that I don't want to participate. It's just that I hadn't got anything to say. And we know that this other department that we're working with is hostile. And so I don't want to go in there looking stupid. And so I kept my mouth shut and then got told I wasn't a team player. And you want to avoid that dynamic. And you know, that may mean, you know, that also means keeping your manager informed. Go, hey, look, I, I don't know what's going on here. When I first started working in sales in the insurance industry, my most recent job, I made sure when we had our district meetings to sit near our, my manager. Like, yeah. It ended up being our whole team sitting together because we got along really well, but I, I think everybody else on the team kind of had the same idea, except for some of the people that had been around for a long time. But by sitting by him, I could easily lean over and say, what, what are they talking about? Because I, I was still learning. It was yeah very early on in the, my career there, and well, and the last place you want to be is your manager assuming you understand something when you don't. That is so true. Because then instead of, instead of oh, hey, this guy needs training or maybe he's, you know, he needs a little bit of help or something, now it looks malicious. You know, once that impression is made, even if they discover later that, oh, no, he just, he just didn't, didn't understand, then they start feeling like you're hiding that from them. Like there, there's really no good way to recover. And so that, that's a place you don't want to be. Another thing, and anybody that listens to this podcast will know that you have this problem and I have this problem, <laughs> is being brief and on point. Yes. Um, when you're having a discussion with them, you don't want to have the rambling conversation around, you know, 15 different things. 
if you come into their office to talk about one thing, it's the same thing in meetings. Yeah, and, you know, and I think you and I are very good at determining when it's appropriate and when it's not. Yeah. Like... Because sometimes it is a social call. Yeah. And, and, but I've, I guess, like, I've, I've sat in quite a few... Uh, you know, like, stand-up meetings have the worst reputation of anything like out of all the agile well not out of all the agile principles because pair programming gets a pretty bad rap too the stand-up meetings you know they're supposed to be okay you stand up for five minutes and everybody says what they're doing and then you go sit down and do your work it's just enough of a touch point and there's always that one guy and i've never like you know and i say oh it's always that one guy it's not anything sexist i've literally never seen a female programmer do this but there's always the the one dude that's got to show how smart he is by how much he talks and we'll we'll take the whole team up talking about some little you know like he and one other guy work on one corner of the system and nobody else looks at it and they have an architectural discussion there that literally is relevant to no one except the two guys that are sitting side by side the rest of the day See, this is where the manager comes in, and a good manager will say, Hey, guys, this is not relevant to what's going on. Thank you for the update. And it, it can be said in a way that lets them know, Hey, this isn't the place for that, but yeah. in a polite manner. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's that's a, a manager's manager. role, too. It's it's also the role of a developer to to go, Okay, hey, you know, look, I've got to get back to it. There's ways of doing that that are not rude, too. Yeah. Because I, I can, I, as we were talking about this, I'm seeing. You're visualizing me in that situation going, ooh. And I, I'm seeing what I would do if, if it happened on such a regular basis and the people had been talked to about it and they were still doing it. I would just get up and walk away. And that's exactly what I've done um, on many occasions because I'm, I realize that I get blamed if I don't get things done. And so, as far as I'm concerned, this person is directly harming my ability to put food on my family's table um, because they're they're trying to show show out for somebody, or they're trying to paper over what they don't know, or or whatever. And it's like, okay, if you want my input, that's great. But a lot of times, when I've seen this, it's been you know they're they're in some like I said, they're in some corner of the system. And they're doing something that is so remote from anything I know that... There's no need for them to yeah. be talking about this with you. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, I think that, you know, I mean, I've even been in a discussion where it's like, I think we ought to solder this this other way instead of doing it this way on the on these particular type of boards because of, you know, of a heat problem. And I'm sitting here going, you know... Why are you even there? How many pancakes can fit on the roof? It's that relevant to me. It's like, why am I in this discussion? And you know, we did have good management at that point that was like, hey, this isn't... This isn't the time or the place for that. Yeah. There is a time and place for it, but this isn't it. Yeah. Somewhere else in a place that I'm not. Yeah. And <laughs> that, that leads right into the last point here, which is to point out tactfully how much damage distractions do. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're so bad. We did an entire episode on them. Really, we could have done a whole series on the damage of distractions. Yeah, and a lot of times your managers either, you know, they don't know. It's it's very common, especially with project managers. You know, they come in, they get they get managerial authority, but they've never coded. They've never actually done that work and done it for long enough that the pain points 
are in their mind. Um, and the other thing you'll see this with is developers that kind of have euphoric recall. I, I've seen this with, with devs that were like, oh, well, I used to develop in Fox Pro. And I don't mean visual Fox Pro. I mean Fox Pro. Or I used to do something, you know, I did Borland C++ back in, you know, 1991. I and learned Borland C++ in yeah. high school. Yeah. But, you know, they, they have this memory. But the thing is, is the rest of the industry has changed. Like back then, they were doing waterfall development. You know, they build the big plan up front and all the pieces of the system are spec'd out. And it's like, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. I remember whereas, learning that. Yeah, whereas now everything's reactive. It's, I'm doing this, oh, crap, something happened. I have to go over here and fix this. Or we got a customer request for this thing. Stop what you're doing, commit that branch, and then jump over here, make a new branch, and do do the next thing. It's more feature-centric. Yeah, it's feature-centric, and it's, it's more responsive to yeah. the end user. And as a result... They, they have what, what's called euphoric recall. Like they, they remember a happier time when a distraction wasn't a problem for them. And the reason is, is because everything was laid out in front and there was a defined path. And a distraction, you know, you were this far down on the checklist. Yeah, and you, when you came back from the distraction, you knew exactly where you were picking up because... Well, it and it, it had only been like 30 minutes. It wasn't, oh, yeah, hey, we, we decided to chase this, you know, go down this rabbit hole for a year mm-hmm. or something ridiculous. And it's kind of important to, to tactfully talk to your manager and go, look, this is, this is really hurting me with these distractions. Like I can't, and, and you've got to be, you got to be very careful about how you do it because what you don't want to do is look like you're helpless or you're complaining. Yeah. And that's, that's where the, the tactfulness comes in. A lot of times um, if you can take data to them and show them, Hey, I am more productive on the days that we don't have distractions and I know I'm graded on my productivity. Yeah. Well, another thing too, even you can actually sort of drop hints about it. You go, okay, well, so we're, you know, we're doing this like, well, can I do that on this day instead of this day? Because that's, that's when I'm better at that sort of thing. Cause there, there are fewer distractions. Uh, makes so sense. you're not, you're not suggesting what the manager needs to do. You're asking permission. Yeah, you're just you're kind of setting your own schedule. The other thing too is that that shows that your ability is that that shows a more senior level of ability because you're self aware. That's very true. It also sets the manager up to do something that helps you help them. Yeah, because it makes them look good, and it's face. their idea. So there's no there's no territory stepping happening there. Also, they remember that. Yeah, I know in other industries when it's promotion time and a position is open, your manager will remember those types of things. And and if they get promoted and they have to promote somebody into their old role, which I've seen happen, they're going to want somebody that they feel like is part of their team. And this, it's not so much that it helps it. It just keeps from breaking it down by ticking Mm -hmm. people off. Yeah, that's very true. And it's just, it's just a better way to treat another human being as if they're a dignified, self-aware creature. And I think that kind of wraps it up. So before we close out, uh, let's do a quick review of uh, what we've what we've covered. So we started off with uh, talking about the essay by Paul Graham uh, that uh, basically states that the developers and the manager's schedules are inherently conflicting in their priorities. 
Um, developers can't do well with interruptions, and managers can't always wait on a convenient time. We then talked about the structure of the manager schedules, and if you look at a manager schedule, it, as Will stated, looks like a lost game of Tetris. Well, and that's that's why in the outline it doesn't say structure an ideal structure for a manager schedule because. Having done management, I'm not sure there is an ideal. I yeah. think they're pretty much all terrible in their own way. Mm-hmm. They tend to be a lot of meetings um, with either their managers, uh, their subordinates, or their peers. And uh, they do a lot of collaboration. There's a lot of social interaction with being a manager. Whereas the structure of uh, an ideal schedule for a developer is kind of the opposite because it looks very sparse with often fewer meetings and mostly those meetings are to report on progress or gather requirements. Uh, the developers, we tend to be isolated with little collaboration and that collaboration is just to get prepared for what we're doing in isolation. We then covered what managers can do to make this better. And that includes restricting interruptions. Uh, it goes back to several uh, different things we've said throughout this episode and other episodes about having a predefined time window for interruptions. Yeah, it's just I mean, the best well, way to do it. And it's, you know, it's sort of the thing of, you know, when it, it, otherwise if you're interrupting your developers all the time, it's like a small child that plants a seed. They'll dig it up to see if it's growing and they'll kill it. That oh. may be from his essay actually, but um, because for some reason I read that recently. It, they can also keep other parties from scheduling meetings with uh, their developers without, uh, going through them um, and also make sure the developers are disciplined about participating and showing up to meetings. Uh, and finally, what can we as developers do to make this better? And that's keeping our managers informed of what's going on. If they know what we're doing and what's going on with that, they're less likely to come and ask us and interrupt us. Uh, showing up on time to our scheduled meetings, uh, that's just a politeness thing. It's professionalism, and it keeps from wasting our time and others' time. Um, be brief and on point for uh, the items you're supposed to be dealing with. When you're giving your report in a meeting, be succinct. Get the information out and just the information that needs to be stated. And finally, point out tactfully how much distractions do and how they negatively affect us as developers and how your you know how your schedule can actually be made to work better yes exactly so that that wraps us all up uh, will before we close out uh, what do you have for us for tricks of the trade well um going to talk to you a little bit about back of the envelope calculations awesome as members of an engineering discipline computer scientists are often expected to be accurate uh, yes. Right. That's kind of kind of built in. You know, people don't like it when their financial calculations are off by you know several thousand dollars. It doesn't really work very well. Um, you know, and you can't really get. You don't want to be just close. You want to be dead on. Right. Mm-hmm. We worry about you know how floating point numbers are inaccurate at times and and those kind of things. And and so this is not intended to be disparaging of that because you know, you're doing numerical calculations. You really need to get it right. But there's a lot of times that it's it's very easy to forget that ah, you kind of you need, just need to know that you got enough. If you're trying to test something, you go, okay, yeah, I know it works. 
And, you know, you do a, you know, this massive statistical calculation and say, I need to run this 2,393 times to get a big enough set, right? You go through all this effort to figure out, you know, how big the statistical set should be. If you ran it 10,000 times and there's not, you know, any significant performance cost or computational cost to it, and you said, ah, you know, I know within an order of magnitude, it's somewhere between 1,000 and 10,000, and I just go on the high end, and you ran it, you're good. You know, unless you, you know, like legitimately, legitimately have to prove it. Because a lot of times you really don't. These uh, these little back-of-the-envelope calculations can really, they can really save you a lot of time, right? Because if you go, okay, well, I know, you know, just scratching it out without being too super precise, that... Uh, you know, 10,000 iterations is going to be several times what we need. Then just go with that and, and be done with it versus spending a whole bunch of time trying to figure it out, you know, down to the, down to a level that you really don't need. Um, they can save you a lot of time. Well, what's interesting is, is they've actually figured this out with Bitcoin here recently. You told me about this earlier. You know, of course, there's the whole process where you generate the Bitcoin and, you know, there's a lot of math there. And it turns out that the numerical methods for this, if you are willing to accept some errors, you can speed it up by like 30%, which is That's massive. huge, yeah. What's also interesting is that if you submit an invalid Bitcoin, the system tells you quickly, quicker than you could actually get down to the correct number at all times. So it's actually faster to use the system to verify it you know, basically to say, okay, I'm going to create a bunch of data, some of which is wrong. It can at times be faster to do that and then just filter out the bad than it is to actually start with good. I can see that. That makes sense. I mean, this this is why we do stats, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, the, this is why the plural of anecdote is not data. is because that's essentially what statisticians do. Like, that's the whole science, is the idea of I'm going to take a bunch of moderately crap data and I'm going to sift through it and try to find the useful bits. That's what they're doing because computationally it's easier for them. This same model applies in software development as well. So long as you don't have to prove something and it's not a financial calculation and nobody's going to die. Just to, just throwing this out there is something to think about a little bit and make sure that you're not wasting your time trying to do you're trying to solve an engineering problem when really what you're trying to actually fix is a approximation problem if you have a question or comment for us please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com our theme music is an excerpt from standby for titanfall by pure bells available on soundcloud and licensed under creative commons the intro music for iot's is hillbilly hip-hop by jason belcher for references show notes and to sign up to our email list be sure and check out the website at www.completedeveloperpodcast.com you can also follow us on twitter at complete dev pod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.